I just got a text message from uh, Crystal Jones saying that her mom, Lena, went to the hospital here. And just, I don't know, it sounds like it's uh, here soon, uh, not too long ago. And is starting to have some seizures. Is, they've been doing some different tests, upper GA tests. So just, uh, I'm assuming that's her. It looks like it's her number. It's uh, not JJ's number, but uh, anyway, um, they're, she's in neurology ICU right now. So just be in prayer for her. And then also I got a call, uh, just another text. You maybe heard that droid when it comes off here. Um, uh, Irvin just saying, hey, we can't make it to church. We've got a few that are sick in their family. <laughs> so um, it just never stops, does it? Um, but uh, anyway, glad all you guys are here. And if you uh, remember, last week we started looking at a series called God's Story. Um, and we're just beginning to tell the story. That's the point of this. And understand it as God told it in the first place. Genesis chapter 1, as we saw, there's a bunch of awe, there's a bunch of wonder. The story's just starting. That's really what we looked at last week. Um, it kind of maybe starts to get scary when you're doing Genesis 1 one day and, and, and we're in this series and then Genesis 2 the next day. I mean, I don't know how many chapters are in the Bible. We're, it's going to take us a while to get through at this point, right? Um, but anyway, uh, uh, just to let you know, there is, uh, that's not the plan is to go chapter by chapter. Although that would be kind of fun, but it would take us a few years. Some of you guys would be uh, old and gray by the time we got done, right? Um, Genesis chapter 1 is the first account of the creation story. And as we talked about last week, it's really a, it's a view from heaven's perspective. It's God speaking and the world coming into existence. And last week, if you were here, I hope, I hope that you were able to catch on to to hear the rhythm, the beat, the cadence, the, the music as God began to bring that shape and He brought the substance to a world that was formless and empty. And today we get to chapter 2 and it's, it's like God says, hey, let me just kind of turn this thing around a little bit. I want to show you this again, but this time I don't want you to see this from heaven, from the heavenly side. I really want you to be able to see this from the earth's perspective. And it's, it's almost as if he's just turned this, turns that mirror around. Chapter 1, it sets the stage. Chapter number 2 begins to tell the story then. I want you to notice this just as we begin to read chapter 1, verse 1. If you'll look at that, uh, we'll have that up on the screen in case you don't have your Bibles with you. But... It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter um, 1, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 4, you'll look at this on the screen here. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. And then the last part of that verse, notice this. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Do you see the shift there? Genesis chapter 1, heaven and earth. Genesis chapter 2 earth and heaven. Do you see how that works? And, and oh, and then notice one more minor detail here. If you look at chapter 4, verse number 2, look at this. Let's read along this scripture here. Um, or you read, read along as I read it, or listen as I read along, or something like that. Anyway, when the Lord God, remember that? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Chapter 2, verse 4. When the Lord 
God. You'll see some highlights there. Made the heavens or the earth and the heavens. And no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees growing out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river, flow, a, a river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is the Pishon. Its uh, winds, uh, it, it, I'm sorry, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, uh, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx and are also there. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It uh, runs along the east side of the Ashur. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from, in, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the air and all the beasts of the fields. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the flesh, the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. What an incredible turn of events here. What an interesting introduction in this second account of the creation. And the Lord God made. And if you look up here on the screen, it will be become a lot more clear, I hope. If you, if you didn't catch it the first time, in chapter 1, we read, In the beginning, God. And then all of a sudden, throughout that chapter, chapter 1, 30 different times, he uses the name of God. And God said, and God called, and God made, and God, and so on and so forth. And, and every one of those different occurrences, the name of God is Elohim. Elohim, say that. Elohim. Elohim, it's, it's the proper name for God. It really refers to God as the creator of our universe. God is the one who is the ultimate judge. And he's, it's, the, 
It's, the, it's sort of a general name, if you will, but it's God. It's, it's the one that we know who is our creator. But suddenly in chapter 2, it's Lord God. And, and something that you may notice in your Bibles, you'll notice it on the screen up here also, is that the word Lord is written in all capital letters. And that's because the word, uh, that's because that's the word Yahweh. Say Yahweh. Yahweh or Yahweh is uh, 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 another way we say it is Jehovah. That's the sacred name for God. And, and it expresses this idea uh, that there, there's a closeness between God and man. It's a, it's a closeness. Uh, it's, it's the word that, well, it's not even introduced uh, or to us in, until we really get to the book of Exodus. Um, if you remember when Moses was uh, getting ready to lead the people out of Israel or uh, Egypt, he says, who do I tell them that sent me? And you remember what he said? He says, God says, you tell them I am sent you. That's this word right here. I am Yahweh. But see, Israel wouldn't even pronounce this word. They wouldn't even say it. And so they always substituted the word Lord or Adonai in the place of Yahweh. And so... In our English Bibles, they've basically done the same thing. They put the word Lord in there. And, and in every case in this chapter, there are 11 different times that Lord God is used instead of just God. And suddenly, all of a sudden, something just, just surfaces of immense importance. Elohim, God, chapter 1, becomes Yahweh, I am, chapter 2. And suddenly, a relationship is formed, and God and man begin a journey together. That's the difference, I think, between chapters 1 and chapter 2, or part of the difference of that, that you see this different relationship that are, you've got the first telling of the story from heaven's perspective, you've got the telling of it from earthly perspective, and you see this relationship that is formed. Now, something else that I think is really interesting, if you, if you remember last week we said that chapter 1 puts this really, this emphasis on time, right? We, we weighs, we weighs, or we, we it's the way that we measure life, Time is. We think about time. Remember day one, day two, day three, day four. It had all of those measurements of time. That's really the key. But then you get to chapter two, and the emphasis about creation is about the placement of man, um, or it's also about the relationships of man. It's, it's really interesting. I mean, it's really, it, this is the key word. If chapter one is about time, chapter two is about place. Place. Two little verbs. They both show up. One of them shows up in verse number 8, and one, uh, another one shows up in verse 15. But verse 8, this verb, God put Adam in the garden. He put the man in the garden. And then you find another one in verse 15, the verb, this verb, and, 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 God, uh, and God put or he placed the man in the garden. In fact, location really begins to take on some real great importance here. The place is usually named. It's called what? Eden, right? It's, 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 it's called a garden. It's, it's even given some boundaries. I mean, it's, uh, it's surrounded by four rivers. It's, they have some, you have identification, you have boundary, you have location. And here is this emphasis upon the fact that, you, that, that we are put someplace. Oh, but that's not where it ends. 
You see, the man, I, I noticed in verse number 20 that the NIV translates that Adam. Well, that's because that's the word, right? In, in, in Hebrew, the word is Adam, okay? It, 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 means, it means man. It, it, it doesn't become a proper noun, it, uh, a name, Adam, until you get to chapter 3. But all through this chapter, chapter 2, 18 different times he talks about the man. The man, you know, the man. And, well, not, not a male, okay? Um, but the, the man, I mean, humans, human beings. That, he's talking about us, we. That's, that's who he's talking about. But what's interesting is that the word ground from which he was formed is the word Adama. Adam, Adam. Ground, Adamah. The man came from the ground. Adam come, came from Adamah. Five different times he talks about the ground. And then he adds to that some references to the earth and to the dirt and the garden. And In fact, 18 times the man is mentioned. And 19 times the, the soil from which he came is mentioned. It's almost as if the poet is trying to help you and me to understand that we are made of the identical stuff of the world in which we live. And we are. You know, there's a, there's a song that we, we've sung it probably here, I suppose. Uh, some of you will be familiar with it. It says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. Um, now, I, I believe that. Uh, you know, the, there's part of the New Testament that says that we're, aliens, that, that, that we're aliens and strangers here on this earth. So, I mean, get that part of it. But you know what? According to the Hebrew writer right here, he says to us that this is our world. We are made of the very stuff that this world is made of. <laughs> Dirt, <laughs> right? This is our place. We don't live in some otherworldly place somewhere. We, we live here in this world, the one that God has made. In fact, that's the part of the challenge of these verses is for, to help us understand what exactly it means for us that we live here in this world, that we're placed here in this world. Wherever here is, where you are is where you're supposed to be. I mean, do you hear that? God placed the man. Uh, do you remember this from last week, Acts, Acts chapter 17? We read this last week. Look up on the screen there. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them. There's that time factor, remember? And, catch this last phrase, next phrase, the exact places where they should live. See my point? I mean, do you ever notice how place becomes so important for us? Just like time, we talk about time is so important. Place becomes so important for us. How, how we want identify, to identify our place, and we want our place to be important. And, and, and there's this always this, we're always wanting to get to a better place. Gregory of Nyssa, that's an odd name. He uh, was appointed by his brother, who happened to be the bishop, to go to a little town called Nyssa. Gregory didn't want to go. It was just too small of a place, but he went anyway. And in this little town, he learned to be content. 
Now, most of you have probably never heard of Gregory of Nyssa. But in church history, he is one of the... He is, one, he is the one who was responsible for helping the, tr- the, the church just come to grips with uh, just a tiny, tiny little issue called the Trinity. Just a small, minor thing, you know. And, you know, God the three-in-one and, and trying to help our brains get wrapped around that. Uh, his writings have helped shape our understanding of the triune nature of God as Oh, and that, that's just one of the things. I mean, there's a list of things that we could talk about that, that, that have, have helped us understand a little bit more about who Jesus is, his, his earthly natures versus his deity and all that stuff. But this younger brother of a bishop appointed to this little spot in the road found his place where God put him, and there he became one of the great theologians of the history of the church because he understood that this placement is where God is what God had in mind for us that we are where God wants us to be we don't have to be another place if you're always looking for another place then you will never be of any value where you are well some things come out of the second chapter that are absolutely remarkable. Uh, you notice an emphasis on the, the meaning and value of work. You notice, uh, you know, if you, if you thought that Eden was a place where you just sat around and did nothing, uh, think again. That's not the nature of it at all. In fact, one of the things that we need to understand, I think in light of where we're going to be going next week in chapter 3 uh, with the fall of humanity, is to understand that work Meaningful, valuable work is something on the good side of creation, not on the false side of humanity. Work is good. It's the nature of man to work and to produce and, 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 and to reproduce, to, to have dominion over the soil and, and, and the fields and the waters and the animals and to be responsible for them and to participate. But do, do you notice, do you notice, this gets me excited, do you notice that we get to participate in, in creation? As we read through that, did you think about that? We get to, you and I, we get to participate in The language of creation, by the way, God, is the, it, it applies only to God. God is the one who creates. But you see, we, what we see here is that we are, that God, you know, God made the world and then he made us and he put us here to make things. And that creative nature of God comes out of that, uh, out in the creative nature of humanity. And we help participate in creation. It's, it's not a curse. It's a contribution. We get to make a contribution. In fact, it's man that does the work. God creates the place, and then man names all the animals. But I want you to notice something else in this text here. Also notice the relationships. The very first thing that you notice here is that we have a relationship with God in which there is some incredible freedom. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. I talked about, um, uh, it's, it shows verse 9, says that the Lord God made all the kinds of trees. He put a tree of knowledge of good and evil and a tree of life in the garden. I was saying, you know, there was more than just those two trees. And I was saying in Sunday school, our kids will remember this, I said, we have a thousand trees all around us. And God says, that one right over there you can't touch. Which one do you think we want to touch? That one right over there. 
that's what we do. Uh, kids, I say, um, here's what I don't want you to do today. That's where they head. So God does that to me, too. God says, here's what I don't want you to do, and that's places where I go, I think. I, you know, and and it's, it's, it's just the way it is. But I want us to see the other side. We usually focus on, when we look at this, is that God said, I can't touch that. And we fail to focus on the fact that he said, you can touch all of this, right? We're focused on the one we can't have when we aren't looking at the ones we can't have. Verse number nine says that the Lord God made all kinds of trees. There's two he put in the middle of the garden. One of them he said, don't eat it. That is freedom, right? Say, yeah, that's right. Man is free to choose. I mean, that is like any, unlike any other part of creation. You know, you got birds. Birds are fascinating. Animals are fascinating. I, I just love watching them. But, you know, right now, I bet you here pretty soon, it's not going to be too long, all of a sudden we're going to start seeing some robins. And I bet you every one of us is going to have a smile on our face the first time we see a smile, robin because that means what? Spring. Spring. Because they've been gone for a while. You know, last fall, they just uh, are moving in towards winter, and I don't know when they go. All of a sudden, they just pick up and leave. They go someplace else, and then pretty soon they're back, and, and then they, we're going to go back again. You know, and you think about all of that, and, and they don't just wake up one day and say, you know what, I think I'll go somewhere today. They do that because it's instinctual. It is built into their system. They don't know anything else. They don't make choices about it. They just do it. But you and I, we choose what, man chooses what he does or what he doesn't do. We have been given enormous freedom, but we have also been given responsibility in that freedom to make right choices. You can have any tree that you want, but don't eat this one, because if you eat this one, there will be consequences. Choice always brings responsibility. God gives us a choice. That's part of this placement. He, he puts us in a world. He gives us freedom, and yet he gives us boundaries, and we have a relationship with God. We are identical with the soil. We are made from the earth. We are humans, but we are not just like the animals. That's my point. See, and therein, I think, is where our educational system has failed us. Please hear this. We are not just a higher grade of an animal. In this text, the ground receives something that no other part of creation receives. God breathes on it, and it becomes a living being. It has life but it's a different kind of life because it's God's given breath and it creates in that person a soul and God gave everything to man for his pleasure and his supply and he wanted this wonderful relationship where everything was good. And not only do you have work introduced and relationships introduced, you have marriage introduced, uh, the only time in, the, in this entire text that anything is not good is when God says that it's not good for man to be alone. And so what does he do? Well, you know our response is, don't you? He sends him a wife. But that's not true. Right? 
The first thing he does is he asks them to name all the animals. And you can imagine after looking at the hippopotamus and the giraffe that the man is just saying to himself, you know, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work. And so God causes him to have this deep sleep and he takes a rib out of his side and he makes, the text says, a helper suitable for him. This is trite but true, so listen closely. The woman came from the side of man, not from his feet, not from his head. We are companions, in other words. And in Scripture, we are equals. This word for suitable, a helper suitable, that same language, by the way, is used about God being a helper suitable for Israel. Now think about that. I don't think that, I, certainly God is not submissive or subservient or less than Israel. Would you agree with that? Nor is a woman less than or subservient to man, not in this text. And so you have all this coming to a, a, a climax in one simple phrase in chapter 2, verse 25. Verse 25, the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Chapter 1 and chapter 2, the opening chapters of our story, they end with man innocent in the garden. And so what do we learn? We learn this, God is absolutely, absolutely sovereign. He doesn't need us. He is totally self-sufficient. He is supreme. And yet the tension is that is this God who is absolutely sovereign is a God who desires to have a relationship with us. What, what do we learn? We, we learn that the world is good. Everything about creation was good. In fact, when he made us, it was, it was very good. And yet it's not a utopia. The Garden of Eden is not a utopian place because Eden had in it the possibility of evil. What do we learn? We learn that man has absolutely incredible value, the highest of creation, and yet man is not God. Man is man and God is God. What do we learn? We learn that everything about creation is good and that God has created us and he has given us a meaningful, abundant life. Now, somewhere in the middle of all this information about creation, we have not mentioned something I think that's rather, rather significantly important. His name is Jesus. And while he is never mentioned in chapters one and uh, in Genesis chapters one and chapter two, he is most clearly there when it says, "Let us make man in our image." And so you hear in. In John chapter 1, the parallel, parallel, I think, parallel, I think to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the parallel in the New Testament, when, when John says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and he says that all things were, there was nothing that came into existence, or there's nothing that was made that, that hasn't been made through him or through God, uh, through his Word, and, 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 and it says that the Word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, and and, and then you go, you flip over to Colossians chapter 1 and, and, and verse 15 and 16, and it talks about the Creator. And interestingly, the Creator in Colossians chapter 1 is, 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 uh, is, is God in, in, in Jesus Christ. It says in, in verse 15, it says that it's Jesus. Who holds all things together by the power of His Word. 
And then if you read Hebrews chapter 1, verses, th verses 1 through 3, you discover that it was the Word of God in Jesus who created the universe and brought it into being. And God writes a story to confront those cultural statements. And I think Genesis chapter 1 and the story confronts our world too. You and I live in a time where everyone is interested in spirituality. I think we recognize that, don't we? Angels, demons, um, we are interested in, in all kinds of things. Life after death. You just turn on your television. You kind of you you kind of get that perspective. I mean, spirituality is is just everywhere. It's it's. Uh, but, but nobody wants to talk about what it means or what it, what, it, what, it, what it is. You ever notice that? Everybody's talking about this spiritual whatever it is, and, but what does it mean? What is it? In our world, when we encounter what we encounter when we confront culture with the story, the story of God, is a confrontation of a spirituality that our world will not like. Because, see, the spirituality of our world doesn't have room in it for creation. Because creation implies sovereignty, and sovereignty implies submission, and we don't want a spirituality that causes us to be submissive to anything. We want a spirituality that makes us feel good, warm, fuzzy feelings. The story of creation is going to confront the sin and the immorality of our world because the spirituality of our age wants nothing to do with guilt. We just want to feel good. And the creation account, God's story, is going to be a problem for those who want just a spirituality because a spirituality in today's world means that I can be over here somewhere and you can be over there somewhere and never do we ever meet together because I live in my own little elite world over here. And God's story is going to talk about service and equality. And frankly, the spirituality of the 21st century wants nothing to do with the inconvenience of God. We want a spirituality that is of our own making, with man as at its highest value, and the story, the story of God, the story of creation is all about a God who holds us accountable and responsible for who we are. Here's the story. Let me summarize it real quick. This is even, this is a cliff notes to last week's. Remember last week? That was quick, right? Here's an even quicker one. The transforming, the transforming story as God gives it to us is this. God is God. We are not. We need Him, and the wonder of it is he wants us. He creates and he all also recreates. <laughs> new life. See, that's the marvelous idea of, I, I think, of a new beginning. Genesis chapter 1 starts out this way. Verse number 1, in the beginning, God. We get to the New Testament. You have Mark chapter 1, it starts out this way. This is the, the beginning of the gospel, the good news. And I think that the challenge for each of us 
is to go forth from here and to live that story, to experience the story, to have that new beginning where, you, where, where, where the Creator recre recreates your life and makes it what it ought to be, where you begin to honor God and you respond in worship to everything that He is and everything that He has done. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the incredible detail that you give to us in your word about uh, just what, what you've poured into creation. And, and God, just, uh, I just want to say a, a prayer of thankfulness for the freedom that you give to us. Um, I, I think uh, we, we sometimes uh, are so focused on that, 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 that side of things that says this is what we can't do, but um, we don't recognize that Genesis 1 and 2 is all about freedom. And you've given us a great freedom. Father, we um, have things in this world that have put us in bondage. It's not you. It's not you that has done that. And I pray that you would help us to find freedom from that. God, we just thank you for, your, for just being our God. Um, we, we thank you for making everything good. Uh, we look around us and we recognize that, yes, it was all good. And uh, I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear as you continue to tell us your story. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um. Go ahead. Can we stand together?